This is Taekwondo Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. This is our third to last edition of our 2018 Dash to the Draft series, and we will use it to analyze the 2018 NFL draft classes of the NFC North with Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Mitchell Trubisky, and now Kirk Cousins in the mix. This division could exceed the NFC South as the NFL's most quarterback proficient division. Did the Bears, Packers, Lions, or Vikings do what they needed to do via this draft in order to satisfy their signal callers? Joining us to answer that question and a lot more on these four NFC North draft halls is our good friend Aaron Lemming of BearReport.com. It's great to have you back on the program as always, Aaron. How you doing? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, it's uh, been a few weeks and lots lots happened since, obviously, with the draft, but it's good to be back on. Yeah, it's good to be back talking with you, and let's uh, break down this draft class of the team you cover, the Chicago Bears, who, in my opinion, might have had the best class on paper in this draft. And starting with their first-round pick, it is very fitting that in the year Brian Urlacher gets enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Bears selected a guy many believe to be a generational talent at the linebacker position in Roquan Smith. How excited should Bears fans be about Roquan Smith? And does he have a high enough ceiling as a player in order to be the next great Hall of Fame caliber linebacker in Bears history, along with Butkus, Singletary, and Erlacher? I think Bears fans should be really excited. I think when you when you go in and you look at what the draft needs were, uh, maybe inside linebacker didn't stick out as something that was a huge need for them, but it's also something that they could really improve upon. Uh, you know, Danny Trevathan and Nick Kwiatkowski have both had trouble staying healthy. And I think upgrading over Kwiatkowski, um, is really big. And I think the biggest thing with a guy like Roquan Smith is just the fact that he's got a lot of speed and he's very instinctive. Uh, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's six one. He was listed, I think at two thirty eight at the combine. The bears have him listed right around two thirty right now. So he's a little bit on the smaller side, but like I said, the big thing are speeds and instinct, uh, versus the other, uh, inside linebacker that was, uh, was projected to go right around the same time as him and Tremaine Edmonds. So I think the bears just wanted more of a, I guess you could say safer. I, mean, I know it's kind of a, you know, it's not really something to say about any draft picks. But I think when you look at what Smith is going to bring, uh, you know, he's also a very good uh, blitzer from the inside. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be uh, very valuable for the Bears. So overall, I think the pick made a lot of sense, especially with the way the draft board fell. I think, uh, you know, he was definitely their guy outside of maybe, a, you know, somebody like a Quentin Nelson or even a Bradley Chubb. But neither one of those guys were probably likely to fall anyway. But to be able to get Roquan Smith, uh, you know, a, a, a top three or four defensive player in this draft at number eight uh, was definitely big. Oh, it most certainly was. Personally, my uh, wishes for the Bears uh, in this draft, my top two wishes were Quentin Nelson and uh, Roquan Smith, and they got one of them in Roquan Smith. And uh, do you think he has a high enough ceiling to turn into a Hall of Fame caliber player? I think he does. I, I think any time that you're placing, you know, Hall of Fame expectations on a player, I, I think is a little, a uh, little lofty for sure. So I'd never expect that out of him. I do think he can be a very good player, uh, multiple Pro Bowls. I think he kind of fits that, uh, that Patrick Willis type role. 
that Vic Fangio had in San Francisco. And I think that's the biggest thing, like I said, speed uh, between him and uh, him and Danny Trevathan. I think that there's going to be a lot of speed on the inside for the Bears. And that's something that they've kind of lacked over the last few years. It's been getting better as they've added more pieces, but their their secondary is still intact. Their defensive line, for the most part, is still intact. Uh, and I think really, you know, that you, you could have picked outside linebacker as far as pass rusher goes or inside linebacker. And I, I just I, I think they made the right decision with who was on the board. And I think he's got a high ceiling. But like I said, I'm just not really, really keen on placing Hall of Fame expectations on maybe, uh, you know, anybody except I'd say Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson was a generational talent in my mind. But anybody else in this draft, I don't quite have that high expectation for. Yeah, that is fair. And after missing out on Quentin Nelson in the first round, the Bears had to be absolutely giddy that another special offensive line talent in Iowa center James Daniels fell to them in round two. Pairing James Daniels up with Cody Whitehair and a healthy Kyle Long can easily give the Bears one of the best interior offensive lines in the entire National Football League. Mike Mayock suggested right after the pick was made that the Bears should slide Daniels into his most natural position at the pivot while kicking Cody Whitehair back outside to guard. However, the Bears' plan is to keep Whitehair at center and have James Daniels play left guard. What is your preferred plan for James Daniels? Mike Mayock's plan or the Bears' plan? I think, personally, I would keep Daniels at center. Uh, biggest reason for that is just, in, in terms of coming in as a rookie, a lot of offensive linemen lack strength. And I think even uh, at times on film, Dan- Daniels kind of lacked a little bit of strength. Now, I don't think this is going to be something huge. And and I think Bears fans need to keep in mind that you know Harry Heastand, who is one of the best offensive linemen in the country, whether it be college or pros, you know, wants him at guard, at least for the time being. So I think it makes some sense. I think you have some versatility there on the interior, especially with a guy like Cody White here or uh, James Daniels. Uh, I would prefer to see him at center, but at the same time, at least from uh, reports so far from camp, he seems to be doing pretty good at guard. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. He also has experience at guard, and he learned under Kirk Ferentz, another one of the great offensive line minds in the country, and he goes to another great one, as you said, in Harry Heastand. And if Harry Heastand thinks he can play guard right away, I will trust uh, Harry Heastand. But the Bears weren't done there. Arguably, the biggest splash that they made in this draft was trading up approximately 50 or so spots and surrendering their 2019 second round pick to take Memphis wide receiver Anthony Miller, one of my personal favorite prospects in this draft. Based on Anthony Miller's talent alone, this was more than a fair price for the Bears to pay. Just watch that UCLA game to realize how special Anthony Miller is. However, his injury history is giving me second thoughts about this move. Miller is coming off of a Jones fracture in his foot, and as we saw in the past with Kevin Durant and Sammy Watkins, who both suffered that same injury, the rate of re-injury is high for this injury. What do you say to Bears fans that fear that this is Kevin White 2.0 all over again? I think uh, when you really look at how things are going, I mean, the, the biggest thing is with Kevin White especially, he there was no sort of medical worries about him whatsoever as the Bears took him. I mean, he hadn't really had any sort of injury history, at least to my knowledge, uh, you know, and he looked to co- be completely healthy even at the combine. I mean, he ran, uh, you know, in the 4-3. So I think when you look at Anthony Miller especially, I think it's one of those things that this is more of a short-term thing. I mean, it could come back. Uh, they've been very precautious with him, and I think the Bears have had a lot of injury uh, issues within the last three years, especially under John Fox. And I think that that's something that they're really trying to get a grip on. They've got a whole new training staff in there. They've got a, you know, a, a, a brand new, pretty much everything when it comes to anything medical, anything training, anything like that. So 
I wouldn't be overly concerned. Uh, it, you know, obviously you never really want to see these guys coming in off of injury. Um, you know, my, my really only issue with Miller, which isn't really much of one, is the fact that he'll be 24 during his rookie season. He's a little old for rookies, a retro senior. Uh, but I mean, overall, I thought this is this is one of my favorite picks in the draft. Obviously, they gave up a you know a future second and a fourth to get him, but at the same time, all they did is really trade a fourth rounder uh, for the privilege to be able to use their second round pick a year early. Um, but overall, I, I don't think Bears fans should be too concerned. And I think the other thing is when you look at what they have at receiver right now, they have Allen Robinson, they have Taylor Gabriel, uh, Kevin White, depending on how long he stays healthy. They've got Benny Fowler. They've got a the, Javon Wims. They've got a few different guys here that can really kind of step in. So, you know, Miller is going to be somebody that they're going to count on in his first year. But it's also not going to be a situation where they're going to rush him. I mean, they still got a little over three months till the season starts, about two months until camp starts. So they've got some time. Uh, they've been he's been doing positional drills he hasn't really been doing any team drills so they're going to take it slow but I don't think it'll be an issue absolutely but let's talk about Anthony Miller the player first of all like uh, his game against UCLA this year that I actually watched live that was one of the best performances I've seen from any prospect during this college football season and many believe that his uh, ceiling and floor revolve around the Emmanuel Sanders Antonio Brown uh, spectrum uh just how special do you think Anthony Miller is as a player? I really like Anthony Miller. I think the biggest thing, especially in the Bears offense and why I thought he was such a good fit for them, even moving into the draft. I mean, he was one of my favorite receiver, uh, you know, in, in this draft. And and I think the big reason is, is because he has a versatility, whether they want to play him in the slot, uh, whether they want to play him outside. I mean, he's really I mean, he's good at everything. I think really. When you look at his game, the only concerns I guess you could say that are there is, I mean, his, his his drops are a little bit more than you would expect. I think a lot of that's concentration. I mean, he's got big hands and he makes some fantastic catches. So I don't think it's, I think it's something that they can coach out of him. I think the other thing is that he struggled a little bit more in press man, which is why I think that he's going to get more of a look uh, inside at the slot just because it's a lot more of a zone look there. But I think overall, I mean, this is, he's a very good route runner. Uh, he's got very good hands for the most part outside of the, the concentration drops that he has from time to time and I, I think you really look at his game and it's not like he's overly fast uh, but I'd say he's definitely quick and he's definitely faster than you know the majority of the receivers out there but I think coming into the NFL coming from the offense that he did and and knowing the route tree and being a route technician already the way that he is I think is going to be big and I think that really limits the uh, the low floor there and I think he's got a pretty safe floor and I think he has a pretty high ceiling as well like I said the only concern that I have in terms of ceiling would be the fact that he will be 24 this year so he's he's a little bit behind the curve you know two years behind but this is obviously somebody that the bears really valued and wanted to trade up for and quite frankly i don't blame him i think he's a perfect fit for what matt Nagy wants to do in the offense and i think uh especially with the depth that the bears have at receiver now i think they'll be able to kind of uh, you know move at his pace whether he's ready right away wh- whatever it may be i think this is a very good move for them oh it's absolutely a very good move and given the fact that as you said he is already a polished route runner uh, that will ease his transition into the NFL and a lot of the receivers drafted ahead of him uh, in this draft won't have that luxury because their route skills are currently underdeveloped compared to Anthony Miller's and moving on to the Bears uh, day three selections uh, they selected a lot of high upside players uh, Joel E.A. Booneyway of Western Kentucky Bilal Nichols of Delaware Kylie Fitz of Utah and Javon Wims uh, Georgia wide receiver who you mentioned uh, which one of those uh, day three picks are you personally excited about the most? long term and why 
I think long term it's going to be Kylie Fitz, and, and and the reason why is you look at his numbers, and really even look at the majority of his film at Utah, and there wasn't a lot to see, and the biggest thing was durability, and obviously that's going to be a main concern. That's why he's taking the sixth round. But I think you look at especially what Vic Fangio looks in his his pass rushers, and he fits that. I mean, he's, he's an athletic guy. He ran in the four sixes uh, at the combine. He's he's long. Uh, he's he's a very explosive pass rusher, obviously, when he's healthy. And I think he's well-rounded. I mean, he's somebody who can drop in the coverage. So I think when I look at all these picks, uh, I, I definitely think he probably has the the highest ceiling, uh, maybe somewhat of a low floor just for the simple fact of durability. And, you know, obviously we've seen it with players. Uh, you know, if you miss the first, uh, you know, majority of your first year or two in the league, then you're really being put behind the curve and the success rate is uh, much lower. But if he can stay healthy, I think he's somebody for the Bears, especially at a position of need like outside linebacker where he can step in and he can get meaningful snaps right away uh so he's definitely my pick as far as uh, high ceiling goes Kylie fits the Bears defense indeed and now moving on to their most uh, hated rival the Green Bay Packers and they and new GM Brian Gutekunst made it a priority to address their chronic troubles in pass defense in this draft and they began to solve that problem in the first round with their selection of Louisville cornerback Jair Alexander many analysts including Mike Mayock had him as the top-rated corner in this class. Did you see any attributes to his game on tape that justify why Mayock and others felt that way about Jair Alexander? Absolutely. I, I think Alexander is, I mean, really the, the best way to put it is he's a playmaker. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's had a little bit of injury history, uh, didn't play as much this year, and I think size is obviously a little bit of concern for, you know, the, the leagues moving into, it seems like, bigger corners. But I think when you look at the... I'd say probably the top four corners in this draft class. You had Denzel Ward, who I had graded as my highest corner. Uh, Alexander was right up there along with Josh Jackson. Um, you had uh, yeah, there's there's multiple others that were right in that conversation. And yeah, at least in my mind, when I was looking at these corners, it's like I, I wouldn't really be surprised to see you know, one guy go over another or somebody maybe dropping in the second round. And it's exactly what happened. But I, I think in terms of what the Packers did here uh, was a very smart move. I mean, they struggled at corner horribly last year. And you look at their depth chart and outside of Kevin King, I don't really think they have that much. And that was kind of something that I had highlighted moving in the draft for them is is something that was really a big need. And they they addressed it in a big way. Oh, they most certainly did. And uh, aside from his uh, playmaking qualities, what else do you like about J.R. Alexander's game? I think just overall, especially uh, in man coverage, I think he's a very good fit uh, for what Mike Patin's going to do or Pettin is going to do. And I just say, like I said, outside of outside of size, I mean, there's really no no locks on him. And I think especially when you look at what the what's in the division right now, whether that be the Bears at receiver, uh, whether it be the Lions at receiver, whether that be the Vikings. I mean, there is a lot of good receivers within the NFC North. uh, And I think that Alexander is going to fit perfectly into that defense. I think that he could easily slot in, whether that be outside or inside. I think versatility is definitely a big thing for him. And looking at kind of what they've already done, uh, I, I do think with bigger guys on the outside, he may slot in as uh, the nickel at least for a little bit. But he's somebody that's going to bring an added dimension to the Packers game in, turn of turn, or in terms of turnovers and obviously uh, just extremely tight coverage, like I said, especially man. Yes, and the Packers double down on corner in round two with a guy you just mentioned, Josh Jackson, the ball-hawking corner from Iowa. While Josh Jackson has arguably the best ball skills of any corner in this draft, he is still relatively new to the position, and he struggled moving in space at the combine, which was a big reason why he slid out of the first round. 
Would it be better for the Packers to have Josh Jackson in more of a situational role as opposed to a starting role this season? Well, I think you look at what they have right now at corner. Like I said, they've they've got Kevin King who's going in the second year. Uh, so I, I would assume that he's going to be starting. Uh, they have Alexander. They have Josh Jackson. But they also have Tremont Williams, uh, Devon House. They So they have some veterans in the mix. Now, Tremont Williams is actually, surprisingly, even, even for as old as he is, has been very good. So I think that the Packers are kind of in a position right now when you really look at it and you look at their depth chart where they have a lot of good young talent, but they also have some veteran talent there that they they can rely on and I think that they can really just kind of throw you know those I'd say those five names in the mix like I said Alexander uh, Jackson uh, Kevin King um, and and the other two veterans and really throw them in there and see who are your three best corners and I mean that's just a versus last year what they had especially towards the end of the year I mean it's a night and day difference uh, but I, I think this pick made a lot of sense because a lot of people including myself had Josh Jackson projected as a first round talent obviously he's kind of a one year wonder uh, he's got good size he's got pretty good length for the most part um, he's like you said he's he's a, he's definitely a ball hawk but I think uh, what kind of got to a few people is I mean he didn't really have that great of a combine he's a little high in his back pedal at least uh, you know for, for my liking but I think overall you get a guy that at very worst case scenario can slot in as let's say your fourth corner you know your your first guy off the bench uh you know and at best i mean he's somebody that's going to slot right in the starting lineup right away but either way i think the packers did a, a very good thing um you know and this is coming from somebody who who watches the bears a lot I, I think they did a very very good thing in attacking corner early and hopefully uh you know with having a new gm hopefully this 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 attack at defensive back in general will finally work for them Oh, absolutely. And on day three of the draft, the Packers tripled down at wide receiver with height, weight, speed specimens in Jamon Moore of Missouri, Marquez Valdez-Scantling of South Florida, and Equinemius St. Brown out of Notre Dame. Of those three big-bodied receivers, which one is most likely to win the trust of Aaron Rodgers? I think, at least for me, the highest graded uh, receiver that I had, and he actually went the last out of the three, was uh, Equinemius St. Brown. I think I think the biggest thing with St. Brown, obviously, was – well, I think there was two things. One, I think the the family, you know, especially with his dad, kind of comes into play as it's going to be a LeVar Ball type situation. Obviously, we'll have to wait to see how that goes. But I think the biggest thing was in 2016, he kind of broke out under Deshaun Kaiser. And this year, he was very, very hit and miss. Uh, but I think when you look at his measurables, his speed, basically all of his metrics uh, combined, I think there's a lot to like there. And I think that he's somebody that can really slot in, uh, even if he's an oversized slot receiver right off the bat. I think he could he could do some damage. I mean, the, the Packers aren't as heavy at receiver as they have been in the past. And obviously, there's going to be the two other rookies competing with him. But outside of Randall Cobb and uh, – and, uh, Devontae Adams, I mean, they they don't have that surefire number three guy. So I think that, that St. Brown is probably the best of the three, at least in my opinion. And I think he's going to really be able to separate himself and be able to become a, a nice target for Rodgers in year one. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the red zone. I give him, uh, Devontae Adams and Jimmy Graham, a package with all of them on the field at the same time in the red zone. And Aaron Rodgers would be absolutely giddy about that. I definitely, definitely agree. I mean, they've they've changed things up a little bit, but they still have a pretty good amount of pass catchers. And with the Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, I mean, that's definitely a good thing. Oh, it absolutely is. And now moving on to this uh, Detroit Lions draft class. And in the first round, they added who they hope is the final piece of a potential top five offensive line in Arkansas center Frank Ragnow. But like the Bears and James Daniels, the Lions have a pretty interesting decision on whether to put Ragnow at center or guard. If you were Matt Patricia, at which of those two positions would you make Frank Ragnow play this season? 
I think I'd probably slot him in more as a, a center personally. I this pick was something that I could see why they did it because he 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 fits what the what the Lions trying to do on offense, that aggression, everything like that. But I mean, personally speaking, he was my uh, third graded center. I had Billy Price and James Daniels both over him. So this pick was one of those. I mean, especially when you get in the back half of the first round, it. You, know, you start seeing what I would classify as not a huge reach by any means, but, you know, a slight reach. But I, I do think that he, at least in, in my opinion and what I've seen from him, uh, you know, in terms of film, I, I definitely think that he fits a little bit better at center. Um, but, I mean, he's somebody who can play both positions and they have, once again, kind of like the Bears, they have a pretty good amount of, uh, of flexibility within the interior uh, offensive line that they can use. Oh, they most certainly do. And in round two, the Lions continued their draft theme of wanting to become a more aggressive football team by trading up to select who they hope will grow into that lead dog running back that they've been lacking for such a long time in Auburn's on Johnson. From a skills perspective, what does on Johnson bring to that backfield that LeGarrette Blount, Theo Riddick, Zach Zenner et al. do not? Well, I think Carrion Johnson is just a very complete running back. And I think when you really go back and you look at the Lions' struggles, if you can even really call it that on offense, has been the running game for God knows how long now. I mean, they haven't had a 100-yard rusher, and I want to say since, what, 2012, 2013? 2013, think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's just – it's a, to be able to get somebody like Carrion Johnson and really slot him in there, obviously they have LeGarrette Blunt in there as well. But Blunt's also getting on the wrong side of 30, and we've seen how fast running backs can really fall off. So I think getting a young guy like that to be able to complement with Blunt, uh, with uh, Amir Abdullah, with Theo Riddick, with the, with the running backs that they already have, I think it's a really good move, and it's something that the, the Lions offense has needed for quite a while, and it's going to take some pressure off Matt Stafford. He's not going to be having to throw as much. Uh, the offense isn't going to be nearly as one-dimensional. Um, it's going to be very interesting interesting to see how Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive coordinator, how he's able to uh, really run things from there. But it just this is something that the, the Lions have really lacked for quite a while. And and I think, like I said, it takes some pressure off of Matt Stafford. I mean, Stafford hasn't won a playoff game yet. He hasn't been great in big situations and being able to have a reliable running back. And I, I had Johnson with a second round grade. So, I mean, the, the, the draft slot lined up right with the value that I would have assumed, I think is going to be big. And we've seen how big of an impact rookie running backs can have regardless of what round they are taken in I think this is a, a good move especially for the Lions offense oh totally and uh, a lot of people were saying that on Johnson's running style is very similar to that of Le'Veon Bell did you see that on tape as well uh, a little bit. I think it's it's kind of hard to to compare anybody to Le'Veon Bell just because of how patient he is in the backfield before he really gets going. But I think overall, I mean, he was definitely one of the better running backs in the class. I think I had him three or four overall. I want to say it was four because I think I had three first round grades. I don't have my draft grades in front of me, but I mean, he was highly graded and he's somebody that, like I said, he, it makes a lot of sense to take him at 43. And I think the the uh, Lions got a good value there. Oh, they most certainly did. And would you expect him to receive the lion's share of the carries this year? I, I do. I, I think, uh, especially at this point in his career, I think Blunt's more of a um, you know a situational runner, and I think you can pretty much say the same thing for Theo Riddick and the same thing for Amir Abdullah. And I think that on Johnson is exactly what they need in terms of a three-down running back. He can block, he can catch, he can run, uh, and I, I do think that he's going to be you know maybe not get you know be on the field 70, 80 percent of snaps, but I do think that he'll probably be the uh, the leading uh, snap getter uh, when we look at it when it's all said and done. 
Indeed, and the Lions were also aggressive on day three, surrendering their 2019 third-round pick in order to move up to take versatile Alabama defensive lineman Deshaun Hand. This was a typical potential overproduction pick, as Hand has freakish athletic tools, but had neither the production, consistency, nor urgency one would expect from an Alabama defensive lineman. If Nick Saban couldn't light that fire under him, why can Matt Patricia? I think that Deshaun Hand's kind of an interesting player because he's he's almost kind of like an Ashawn Robinson. Obviously, he's taken taken around after Robinson, but I think he's more of one of those guys that when you look at him uh, as, as far as the defensive lineman goes, I don't think you're going to get a ton of production uh, in terms of pass rush. I think he's going to be more one of those guys that can anchor at a five well not, not even five tech position, but from the interior line uh, and can do multiple different things. But I I don't see a very you know, an overly high ceiling. Uh, and usually, like you pointed out, Nick Saban usually gets the best out of all of his players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that, there's nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, you can never have enough solid offensive line or defensive linemen, and especially, uh, you know, in a, in a league where it seems like a lot of guys seem to to really lack a complete game, and especially uh, against the run. I mean, I, there's always value in that. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they rotate their interior linemen, especially uh, whether he plays defensive end or defensive tackle personally i have him slotted as defensive tackle uh probably more of a i don't think a nose tackle because he's not big enough but i definitely see more as a three technique than anything but i think he's going to be a rotational player and if he can provide some pass rush and maybe he can move into more of a full-time role but at very worst i mean this is depth and you know when you get in the later rounds of the draft even really out of the second round then that's that's really what you're looking for and if you can get anything uh, starting caliber out of guys like that then that's always a plus yes and the lions have to be betting that he will turn into a style given the fact that they surrendered their 2019 third round pick in order to get uh, Deshaun Hand. And moving on to the class of the reigning division champion Minnesota Vikings. And when you look at this team, slot corner was a very underrated need for the Vikings heading into this draft because this is likely Terrence Newman's final season in the NFL and Mackenzie Alexander, their 2016 second round pick, who they initially hoped would grow to replace uh, Terrence Newman, has been a massive disappointment thus far. Thus, the Vikings selected Central Florida cornerback Mike Hughes with their first round pick. What on Mike Hughes' tape suggests to you that he will become a better pro than Mackenzie Alexander? Well, I think Mike Hughes is a little bit more complete. I think he's got a little bit better size, a little bit better length. Uh, I mean, really, just looking at his tape, I think he had, I think he had top uh, top fifteen overall tape. But I think the biggest thing with a guy like Hughes is the fact that he sets him off the field issues. And I, I think overall, he has a has a very complete game. I think he's going to fit perfectly into what the Vikings want to do with him. Um, I do think that he, at least in my mind, I think he slots a little bit better outside than he does, uh, you know, inside as his but once again, man, it's the Vikings. The Vikings have a very deep defense. They're going to be able to do multiple things with him. And I think the the nicest thing about somebody like Hughes is the fact that, once again, they don't really have to throw him into the fire right away. They have some depth there. Uh, I'll be honest, I was never really a big McKenzie Alexander fan. I know a lot of people were um, him coming out of the draft. But Alexander is one of those guys that really never had that much production at Clemson. I mean, he was, he was good in coverage, but you never really saw – uh, you know, a, a ton of versatility. You never really saw many uh, turnovers, anything like that. And I think that Mike Hughes is is a much better prospect in that regard, at least in my opinion. 
It's going to be fascinating to see how Mike Zimmer develops him. And uh, Mike Zimmer, just like uh, his uh, mentor, Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati, uh, he took a risk on a guy who had some character questions. So I, I actually anticipated this pick as the Vikings were on the clock. And I think it's going to be a great pick uh, for them. And in round two, the Vikings did what they had to do by addressing uh, the protection for Kirk Cousins, their $84 million man. But their selection was kind of puzzling. It was Pittsburgh offensive tackle Brian O'Neill. And while he may be gifted athletically, he's very raw and he struggled horribly at the Senior Bowl. And he currently lacks the required core strength for NFL offensive linemen. Should the Vikings essentially redshirt Brian O'Neill and make him spend 2018 in the weight room? I don't know about redshirting, especially as a you know as a, a second round pick. I mean that's, that's somewhat tough, but. I was a little surprised by the pick, too. Um, I, I think when you looked at some of the other guys, if you're looking for a high ceiling guy, then I, I just I, I thought maybe somebody like, uh, yeah, man, there's there's multiple guys. Alex Kappa uh, would be one. Chuck Wuma Okorfor was another one that if you're looking for a project, that's probably more of uh, something that I would have gone after now. With O'Neal, I think obviously strength's a big thing for him, and and I think he's probably not going to be something that's going to start right away, which is good. Uh, but I think having him as their primary, uh, you know, their their primary swing tackle essentially, I, I think that's something that he can gain some experience from. And you know, if if an injury happens, which we've seen a lot with the offensive linemen, then hopefully it's not until a little later on in the year. But He's definitely a project. It was it was definitely somewhat of a surprising pick to me. Um, but unfortunately, picking 62, you saw a lot of talent, starting caliber talent, especially that had already flown off the board by the time they picked. Yeah, that's definitely one of the disadvantages of, of picking late. So it's natural for teams picking that late to select a, a project at that point in the draft. But my personal favorite pick the Vikings made was their first of two six-round selections in Appalachian State guard Colby Gossett. Colby Gossett, he had a tremendous week of the Senior Bowl, and his film looks extremely promising. Say Mike Remmer stays at right tackle, the starting right guard spot will be wide open. Would it surprise you if Colby Gossett wins that job in training camp over Danny Isadora and Tom Compton? I could definitely see it, especially Tom Compton is one of those guys. I think he's a little bit more serviceable as a uh, as a reserve offensive lineman, whether that be tackle or guard. He's definitely got some uh, versatility there. But I think Gossett, at least for me, was a guy that I had a borderline, a borderline uh, third to fourth round grade on. And and I think you see a lot, especially with interior offensive linemen. Uh, I mean, we just saw it with Andrew Norrell. Uh, you know, the, these guys that go late or they go undrafted and they're able to step in and then play at a high level right away. I think the the amount of talent at guard can sometimes be deceiving, but I think Gossett's one of those guys that could slot in right away and and play well. And I think you know if they do keep Remmers at right tackle, I think that's something that we could see happen uh, in training camp, especially and you know an open competition. I mean that's a offensive line's been a been a big need for the Vikings for a while. Uh, obviously, it got better last year, but. I do think, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a key because Kirk Cousins is not as, uh, at least in my opinion, not quite as mobile as somebody like a Case Keenum or a, a Teddy Bridgewater. So they're going to need to keep him clean. And, you know, I think this is one of those moves that at very worst case, you have him as your, you know, your first or second uh, guard off the bench, whatever it may be. And you let him develop for a year. But like I said, there's a lot of guards in the league that can come in as, as fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, even even as late as undrafted uh, free agents. And they can come in and they can play at a play at a high level and grow quickly. He is Aaron Lemming, BearReport.com. Follow him on Twitter at Aaron Lemming NFL. Aaron, it is always a pleasure having you on the show. But before we let you go, we'd like to play a game I like to call 
overreaction, not an overreaction. And in this game, I will say something about a prospect that was drafted by either one of these four NFC North teams that we haven't discussed yet. And you will determine whether it's an overreaction or not an overreaction, starting with the Packers. Cole Madison will win either one of the Packers starting guard spots. Uh, I'm going to say overreaction, not overly high on Madison. Uh, why aren't you overly high on Cole Madison? Uh, just didn't really like what I saw on tape. I don't think he's uh, overly athletic. It just like I said, overall, it just wasn't wasn't a wasn't a huge fan. And I think he's going to be somebody that's more of a de- developmental prospect versus somebody who can step in right away and start moving on to the Vikings. Daniel Carlson will beat out Kai Forbath for the Vikings place kicking duties. Uh, I'm going to say that's right on, man. I, I don't think you can really justify taking a kicker, especially the best one in the draft and not have him make the team. Yes, and staying with the Vikings, Tyler Conklin will immediately slide into the Trey Burton role in new coordinator John DeFilippo's offense. Oh, man, that's I, I don't quite think so. I like Conklin, but I also think that he's going to be somebody that's going to take a little bit of time to develop, and I'm not really sure that he's going to fit that role right away. Back to the Bears, Bilal Nichols will play himself into a healthy role in the Bears' nickel pass rush. Um, I could... You know, that's that's tough. Uh, I'm going to say overreaction just because they have Jonathan Bullard and they have Roy Robertson Harris. And I think uh, just the overall depth there, I mean, they're going to do some rotation. But Eddie Goldman and uh, even Bakeem Hicks have been getting the majority of the snaps and the uh, and anything nickel. And to conclude with the Lions, if Tyrell Crosby develops like the Lions hope he will this year, the Lions will decide to cut T.J. Lang next March, which will save them $9 million in cap money and have Tyrell Crosby replace him at right guard. I could see that happening. Easy. Tyrell Crosby is somebody that I had a second round grade on. I think he, at least for me, I think he grades out a little bit better at, uh, or he should be a tackle, but uh, I think he could easily slide in to a uh, guard position, interior line in general, and I think he could really excel. And I think that was one of the better value picks that I saw this entire draft. I completely agree. Aaron Lemming, it is always a pleasure having you on, and we hope to have you back on again very, very soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. It was good talking to you again. Good talking to you as well, Aaron. Thank you. And that's it for today here on Sports Crutch with D-Crom. But we'll be back next week with recaps of the NFC South and NFC West draft classes. So stay tuned. Be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like our good friend Aaron Lemming, especially since there's never an off-season for talking football. For Aaron Lemming, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome. Stay awesome.